Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I want to read 2 Samuel chapter 9. And then we'll get into the rest. I got eight eight points, so I'm not going to take up too much time today. But if you would, actually, before I get into it, if you would just share this broadcast, you'd be a great help to me. Share the broadcast uh, one time, tw- two times, ten times for all I care throughout this broadcast as many times as you can to let this uh, message get out and defeat the Facebook algorithms, which are designed to, um, you know, limit this type of message from getting out. So if you can share the broadcast, you'd be a great help to me. Second Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I'm at your service. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Makur, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makur. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, 2 Samuel 9, 6, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you'll eat at my bread, you'll eat my bread, sorry, at my table continually. So he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. And you'll bring in the harvest that your master's sons may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. I want you to take special note on that. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Like one. Sorry, verse 11. Then Ziba said to to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall now eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. He ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. I wanted to read that story before I got into the eight limitations removed in Christ because I wanted to show you a perfect illustration of the kindness of God through redemption. 
Now remember, David said, I'm going to show Mephibosheth the kindness of God. He wasn't operating in human kindness. He said, I want to illustrate, I want to demonstrate to Mephibosheth the same grace that I know God has shown towards me. And so what did he do? Mephibosheth was lame. He was paralyzed in both his legs. Who knows how that happened? Whether it was he when he went to war, perhaps he was born that way. Whatever happened, it happened and he couldn't walk. He was limited in his physical flesh. By infirmity, he could not walk. He, he had human limitations that were placed on him. And that is a picture of what sin did to us, the human race. I want you to remember in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, the Bible says God, when He created you and He created me, He created us not in the image of an angel. Angels are limited in power. Angels are limited in mind, in mentality, in wisdom, in knowledge. Angels are limited... In, uh, in their ability to do things. They are not omnipotent. They cannot uh, just do whatever they want. Angels have limitations that have been placed on them because they're created beings. And the scripture says that when God created you and I, we were created not in the image of an angel. We weren't created in the image of an archangel even. We were created in the image, the very image of God. And uh, the Bible says that God created us in His image. He created us male and female. And then God blessed the human race. And He said, according to my ability now, I'm blessing you. So go out, subdue the earth, have dominion over everything that creeps on the earth. Every animal, every beast, every fish, have dominion over the earth, subdue it, and run the affairs of this earth. Now understand, when man sinned, when Adam sinned, he forfeited that ability. He, he disavowed his God-given nature. And whatever that looked like God, whatever God DNA he carried in him, his own body, in himself, whatever uh, unlimited ability he had, I can guarantee you in the Garden of Eden, if Adam wanted to travel, from one side to the other, he didn't have to run. I'm, I guarantee you, he could have, he had super, superhuman powers. He could have translated himself. He could have, you know, whatever. He was not limited or there was no barriers in his physical ability to do things. If he wanted to fly, I'm sure he, he had the ability to fly. If he wanted, whatever he wanted to do, because he was created in God's image. He could blink and in front of him, salad, whatever type of food he wanted was automatically made. Uh, and, and, and the recipe was the best recipe they had ever tasted. Anytime he wanted a, uh, to enjoy something he enjoyed doing, I'm sure that he just had to think about it and it came to pass. It, it was set up. If he wanted to enjoy a fruit that was on the other side of the garden, I'm sure he just had to think of it and it came into his hand. He had unlimited ability because he was created in God's image. Now understand something. When Adam sinned, he forfeited that ability, that DNA, that nature. And when sin entered the world, the DNA of sin limited every unlimited thing that Adam had enjoyed prior to that sin. So he now had was subdued by physical limitations. He was subdued by mental limitations. He was subdued by financial limitations. Everything, the, you know, the enemy, when he came, he asserted his dominion on the earth and he enforced his rule, his authority over mankind. And as such, 
uh, he oppressed the abilities of men. He oppressed, he, he set up his regiment over mankind and, and um, totally stripped man of whatever supernatural aura he enjoyed prior to that sin. And as such, we were now confined by limitations and confined by natural law. Whereas before, natural law gave way to the supernatural law. And so I want to show you what happened when Jesus came. When Jesus came, we were all like Mephibosheth. We were bound by natural law. We were bound by the physical infirmities of our flesh. We were bound by limited... Uh, mental capabilities we were bound through sin the bible calls sin of a weight that so easily entangled us it entangled us it caught us up the bible says when sin is fully conceived it produces death it produces bondage it produces chains it produces limitations that formerly were not there and so when god sent jesus to die for us, the Bible says we were redeemed by His blood and forgiven according to the riches of His grace and His kindness. So Mephibosheth is a type, is a symbol, is an illustration of what we were bound by sin, sorry about that, bound by sin, confined by the weight of sin, confined by the barrier of sins and the obstacles of sins, of sin, which had crept into the human race. But notice what David did. David said, take Mephibosheth, the one that was the outcast, the one that was bound by the failures of his past, the one that was bound by his physical infirmity. Take that one, the one that's been weighed down by the, 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 the weight of paralysis in his legs. Take that one and lift him up. Bring him to the table of the king so he can start to feast on the king's menu and on the king's table. That was you and I. We all went astray. We all turned aside. We were together corrupt and had fallen short of the glory of God. We were by nature children of wrath, deserving of the wrath of God. But the scripture says, God being rich in kindness, rich in mercy, rich in compassion, while we were still dead in sin, our, just like David called the name Mephibosheth, when God called your name and you replied and got saved, the same way Mephibosheth was lifted out of penury, poverty, sickness, disease, physical limitation, the same way he was uh, lifted out of his social limitations because, you know, when you're par paralyzed, and especially in those days, you were like a social outcast. Everybody thought you were cursed. The Bible says God being rich in mercy when there was no reason, no logical reason. The Bible says even angels are still trying to figure out why God rescued the human race. When there was no reason, God sent his son born of a woman, born of a virgin to redeem us who are bound by the laws of nature so that we can be adopted into the family of God, sit, pull up a chair pull up to the king's table and begin to feast on the menu of heaven. Begin to feast on God's riches in glory. Begin to taste and see of God's goodness. Begin to live life without limits. 
And that's the life I believe you're going to live from today onward. God is going to, you are entering into a realm of no limits from today onward in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever limitations of your past, whatever limitations financially you might have, whatever limitations that sin brought on your life, whatever limitations that the weakness of the flesh brought on your life, whatever limitations sickness has brought on your life, I'm going to show you today eight limitations that Christ has redeemed you from, set you free from, so that you can live in a world of no limits not by might not by strength but because of God's spirit working through you remember Philippians 4 13 Paul said Paul said I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength so there's nothing that you can't do that the anointing will not enable you and empower you to do there's nothing, there's no limit that hell can place on you. There's no limit that the world can place on you. There's no limit that can be laced on you that by redemption through the blood of Jesus hasn't broken off your life so that you can operate on a higher frequency so that others look to you and know, just like they did to Joseph, this guy's not operating by human effort. This guy's not operating by human ability. There's a higher ability operating and flowing through this person. If you're just tuning in now, I'd, I'd be very encouraged if you'd share the broadcast and uh, get, get our viewership up today. Eight limitations. Let's start with number one, physical limitations. Physical limitations. I want to read Psalm 18. The number one limitation that people, in my opinion, people face is physical limitations. Whether it be sickness in their bodies, you know, sickness is a limitation. Because if you're bound to a hospital bed, you're not really free to do what you want to do. You're not able to fulfill God's great call for your life. If you got to constantly be going in for you know, dialysis treatments or whatever. Can't, can't be too far from a hospital in case something goes wrong. That's a limitation that is placed on most people, a lot of people, and not only world, I'm talking about in the church, bound by physical infirmity. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 18, the scripture says that there was a woman who was bent over double who could in no, no way rise herself up when Jesus saw her lying there in that condition, lying there in that condition, had been there for 18 years, unable to, be, to move, bound by a spirit of infirmity, Jesus said. It irritated Jesus. It irritates God to see you bound by sickness. It irritates God to see the thing that he already laid on Jesus still perverting your physical body. Sickness is a perversion of your body. Just like sin is a perversion of your spirit, sickness is a perversion of your physical body. You shouldn't placate, pamper, or nurse sickness in your body. You should vehemently reject it. Because when Jesus died, he bore your sickness and carried your pains. So if Jesus already paid the bill for me to be set free from physical limitation, then why should I have to stay sick another day in my life? I'm free. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. Having been made a curse for you. You know what that means? The cancer that you think you have, or that really is in your body, whatever. That cancer was already laid on Jesus. 
That's why I said you think you have. Because if you get to the root of it, it's just the devil lying to your body. I'm not saying there's no cancer in that body. I'm saying it's a lie. It's, 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 it's the devil's deceitful ploy to make you think you still have to have that thing in your body. But Jesus already paid the bill. You go to a restaurant and you're with someone else and they graciously take the bill. And then after you go back to the waiter and you say, I'd like to pay the bill. No, they already took the bill. No, I want to pay it anyways. You, you'd be locked up in a mental institute. It's, it's already been paid. You got to just enjoy the meal, walk out, and thank them for it. On the same vein, God has set a table before us. Just like I read in Mephibosheth's case in 2 Samuel 9. David said, he should eat at my table continually. There's a table that's been set. That, that table has food that when you eat it, it breaks you free from human limitations. Sickness limits your body from operating the same way God wants it to operate. But when you pull up a seat to the table of God, you'll find out that healing is the children's bread. And that bread's still on the menu today. You don't have to have some religious... Uh, pious, falsely humble stance. Uh, you know, in all of this sickness that I've been going through, I've just learned. I've just learned so much about the character of God. Why do you think you have to go through sickness and disease to learn about God's character? Isn't His Word enough to show you His character? You think this book was written because forty odd different authors were totally bored with life, and they said, "You know what? Let me just take up a pen and a paper and just start writing about what I think God's." No. This book is Holy Ghost author. God's attempt to show mankind, this is the way I am. This is, the, this is how I operate. These are the ways. This is the way I do things. These are my thoughts towards you. That's why, how could David say, I'm going to show Mephibosheth the kindness of God, unless he had already read about God's kindness. He had already read about God's kindness towards Israel in Egypt. When they were... Not paralyzed in their body, but they were paralyzed as slaves, bound by Egyptian law, bound by the Egyptian whip, bound by and led captives to do what the Egyptian Pharaoh wanted them to do. Could not see a way out of it. But God in His rich mercy sent a deliverer called Moses to break Israel free from Egyptian captivity. And He led them forth. The Bible says He broke them out of the house of bondage and brought them out with silver and gold and there was none feeble or weak amongst all their tribe. Well, David must have read the kindness God showed towards Israel. David had obviously witnessed the kindness God showed towards him. You read the Psalms. It's loaded. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard me, and he delivered me from all, all destruction. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord has delivered me out of them all. I've been young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. David witnessed firsthand everything God had done for his life and those around him. How the, vic the victories that he enjoyed throughout life. There's been no man that was that stood before David, not even Goliath standing at nine foot six, uh, some scholars believe. Not even Goliath could stand before David and prevail. David just knocked him down like dominoes. And so he said, now that I've seen God's kindness, I'm able to show the kindness of God to Mephibosheth. And he illustrated, demonstrated that kindness towards someone that was bound. Well, let me tell you something. That same kindness 
has been shown towards you and has been shown towards me. I should have been in a mental institute, taking up all kinds of pills, bound by OCD, which is a mental illness. I should have been going to counseling, treatment, uh, sessions twice a week, wasting a hundred bucks every single, uh, every single session. You know, that's what sickness does. That's why God, I, I feel like the Lord's going to break that first limitation off you today before we get through anything else. That's why I put it first because that woman with the issue of blood, she spent all that she had. Not only does a physical limitation restrict your body, it restricts you financially. Because instead of putting your money into the gospel, into things that matter, you're now forced to put it, pump it into the pharmaceutical industry and supplying you all kinds of pills and treatments, hoping that it'll help you. That's why the devil hates the gospel. Because the limitation he attempts to put on your flesh, which then leads to a limitation he attempts to put on your wallet, all those limitations are broken in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God at work. It sets the captive free. It releases them that are oppressed. It lifts up the heavy burden. It breaks the yoke of captivity. There's nothing hell has done to you or your family. No limitation, no chain that restricts you from moving forward that the power of God released through the gospel of Jesus Christ can't break off your life today, here and now. That woman was bound. She had gone to religious services. You know, that's a shame. There's people that go to church bound by demons, bound by sickness, bound by financial pressure, bound by depression and anxiety, suicidal thoughts, bound by marital sieges that the enemies designed to wipe out their marriage. And they go through religious circles because they're going to churches that have a form of godliness, but they don't tell people that they can actually be set free. Church is not a daycare for us to come in and out, leave the same way we came, but at least we're a little more encouraged. That's not what church is for. The Bible says in Psalm 107, we sat in darkness, bound by afflictions and chains. But when we cried out to the Lord, the Lord heard us and he sent his word. He delivered us. He healed us and took us out of the horrible pit. Church is not a daycare. It's not some social club for us to network with other believers and just know we're not going to go through life alone. That's not what church is for. Church should be like a, uh, it's a Holy Ghost hospital. That when the sick come, that's what Jesus, Jesus was literally the church in motion. He was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And you see, everywhere he went, he wasn't reading Hallmark cards to people that were sick. He broke them free from physical limitations. He said to that woman, Ought not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, be loosed from this bondage here on the Sabbath? They were saying there's six days on which men ought to be loose. Sunday's not for this. Sunday, we're, we're here just to hear some new thing from the Word of God. That's what Sunday's for. You know, that's how some churches run. Just to hear some fresh revelation from you. Well, what's your fresh revelation going to do if it's not setting people free? The Bible says a true witness delivers souls. So when you truly have a revelation from God's Word, it's going to produce deliverance in the meeting that you're preaching. It's not just to have... Oh, just to share something new. 
We're not Stoics. We're not philosophers. We are ministers of resurrection, life, and power. Breaking a generation free that's been held captive by satanic forces to tell them the prison doors are open. And I'm not here to pray for you. I have keys to set you free. I tell you today, every limitation the enemy's placed on your flesh, on your bodies, organs that malfunction, blood problems, blood disorders, diseases in the, bo the bones and the flesh, in the structural makeup of your body, there's no sickness, not even those that aren't even named, not even discovered by human science. There's nothing that's in your body right now. No limitation placed on, by sickness that God's power is not going to set you free from here and now for today's the acceptable day. Now is the day of salvation. Why wait for tomorrow what God is ready and available and willing to do for you today? You don't have to push off your breakthrough for tomorrow. You don't have to, you know, uh, somehow God's going to get the glory and all this. You know how God gets the glory? The same way that woman that was bound and, and bent over double. The same way God got the glory in that day in Luke 13 when she was loosed. When the limitations that had confined her were broken and she was set free. You know, you were bought with a price. Your body's not your own. You don't get to decide. Whether you should stay bound or not, you know. You don't get to decide that. God's already decided for you. You're not your own property. You belong to God. Your body belongs to Jesus. You bear in your body the mark, the copyright, the registered trademark of heaven. And you're to glorify God in your body and your spirit. So people that tell you God's not really concerned with what your body, you know, the, the, the condition of your body is more concerned with the condition of your spirit. Yes, he's, he's concerned with the condition of your spirit. Yes, absolutely. Salvation is the ultimate thing that you make it to heaven. That's our main objective. However, just because something is very important and of critical importance doesn't mean everything else is not important. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, Christ is the Savior of the body. Christ is the Savior of your body. And no man hates his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as Christ does the church. So God is interested in nourishing your body, keeping it strong. So that's one level of limitation. Of, you know, sickness places a limitation, but then there's physical weaknesses that place a limitation on people where they can't do what they want to do. And that's why I wanted to read Psalm 18. Listen to this. Verse... 20, 28, Psalm 18, 28. These are David's words. For you, if you're just joining me now, please share the broadcast. Help me get the, the word out. You will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you, I can run against the troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to those who put their trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. I have, verse 37, I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither have I turned back until they were utterly destroyed. I have wounded them. They cannot rise. They have fallen under my feet. 
Verse 39, for you have armed my you have armed me with strength for battle and have subdued under me those who rose up against me. That's not David saying, you know, Lord, I thank you that I, I, I'm healthy uh, and at least I have strength to get out of bed this morning. You know, give me strength this day to just make it, make it through. Help me to just, uh, you know, stay awake at work today. That's not David saying that, you know, by God, I've been able to make it. He's saying, by my God, I can run through a troop. I can leap over a wall. I, the limitations by the anoint. I mean, you read in 1 Samuel 16, when the oil was poured on David's head, which represents the anointing of the Spirit, God's Spirit came upon him mightily from that day onward. And when he encountered a bear, the bear didn't wipe David out. David wrestled the bear, took the sheep. I mean, you try and wrestle a bear, you'll get hurt. Just one swat from that thing's hand will wipe you, wipe you out, kill you. You get a swat from a bare hand in the head, that'll kill you in one hit. There's a lot of torque behind that swat. David not only was able to rescue the sheep, he said, I, I, I disarmed the bear. Then a lion came. You ever seen a lion? Went to a zoo not too long ago. They're massive. Those things are huge. Like, I don't know how many hundreds of pounds they are, if not more, like a thousand pounds or whatnot, with a mane, massive mane. They walk majestically because they know the power that's in them. David said, when I saw a lion try and take one of my sheep, I opened its mouth and ripped its mouth back and took the sheep back. Then Goliath, who had been a trained warrior from his youth, came before David. David didn't get scared. Because he knew that the limitations that were placed on him, it didn't matter how small he was. It didn't matter if he was five foot seven or five foot nine or six foot three. The human limitations were broken off his life through an encounter with the anointing of the Spirit of God. That's why Joel said, let the weak say, I am strong. Don't confess your weakness. Your confession shouldn't be based on what you're able to do, your confession should be based on what God is able to do. That's why Paul said, I am what I am because of the grace of God in me. I'm not what I am because of my own strength. I'm not what I am because of my own efforts. I'm not what I am because of natural ability. I'm not what I am because of uh, physical, physical giftings. I am what I am because of God's grace in me. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Don't confess what you can do. Confess what God can do through you. Philippians 2.10, God is at work in you and through you to work His good pleasure. John G. Lake, you want to know why he had such miracles, such extraordinary feats and, and, and uh, manifestations of God's power in his life? Because he, his confession, he would wake up in the morning and before he went out to preach, he would look at himself in the mirror and he'd say, God is in this suit. God lives in me. God is in this man. Where I go, God goes. What I do, God does through me. So he wasn't expecting human results. He set his expectation to enjoy divine results. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? That God's Spirit dwells in you? 
So don't expect human results. Don't expect to operate by human strength. Look at what happened when the Spirit of God came on Samson. One man killed a thousand by the jawbone of a donkey. Elijah. The scripture says when the Spirit of God, the hand of God came upon Elijah, he outran chariots, horses. You try and outrun a horse. You ain't going to win in the natural. But when the hand of God comes on you, what can't be done physically, what can't be done through human strength, what can't be done through natural giftings and abilities, God does through you. I prophesy in the name of Jesus, every limitation of the flesh, every limitation of human strength, every limitation that human weakness might place on you, those things get broken off your life forever from today onward. You will run and not grow. Gone are the days of you growing fatigue at 2 p.m. The Bible says when he brought them out with silver and gold, there wasn't even any feeble. You're not called to live a feeble, weak, emaciated, deprived of strength life. No. Like Paul, your confession from today, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. Even Jesus said, of myself, I can do nothing. But what I see the Father doing, that I can do in like manner. No more giving excuses. Well, you know, I'd love to do that, but, you know, my, my psoriasis, they really get in the way. It, I, I'd love to do that, but my, uh, my, my, my fibromyalgia really keeps me down these days. You know, I was in Pennsylvania a couple of years ago, and there was a woman who had fibromyalgia, multiple cirrhosis, herniated discs, discs in her neck. You want to talk about a problem. That, you want to talk about trouble physically. That's physical infirmity. That's like the trifecta of hell. She was in excruciating pain the day she came in. When the power of God came on her, it broke her free from those physical limitations. I just saw Rebecca Tornberg. She wrote, doctors told me no cure for a rare blood disease called TTP. She got saved and healed in one of our meetings uh, last year. And now it's not like she... The, the things that used to hold her down physically, not only is she set free from sickness, she's supernaturally strong, not by might, not by strength, but by God's Spirit working in and through her. No more limits physically. No more captive to weakness. The Bible says, in Mark chapter 2, there was a paralytic brought before Jesus. Paralyzed, bound, with an inability to walk. And when he encountered Christ, what happened? He walked. And you know what Jesus said? Before he healed him, he said, your sins are forgiven. And he said, I'm not here to get my sins forgiven. Pretty much my version of it. Is, I'm sure his mind was like, I'm not here to get my sins forgiven. I'm here to get healed. And Jesus said... And, you know, the Pharisees were even standing by saying, Which, what kind of guy does this guy think he is? He's, he thinks he can forgive sins? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Which is easier for me to say? Sin, your, uh, son, your sins are forgiven? Or walk and rise and go on your way? So that shows you that the physical limitations he had was a direct result of the sin that, was, that he hadn't been redeemed of. But what did Christ come to do? 
redeem us from the curse of sin so that the physical limitations of the flesh could be lifted and we can walk on in freedom, doing what you want to do, going where you want to go, acting the way you want to act, performing what you want to perform. You know, it's not you performing. It's God's performing through you. God's performance through you. I'll go on to the second one. Number two, mental limitations. I don't know why the viewership is so low today. It's like this is, this is such a powerful teaching that's really going to lift people's blinders up. It seems like Tuesdays are always lower. I might change the Tuesday broadcast to something else. Mental limitations. This is a huge one. People always confess, you know, I'm not too bright. I, 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 I'm pretty slow. I, I can't really understand much. You know, I have a hard time understanding things. You know, you really need to talk slow for me because I have a difficult time processing certain things. People always, redeemed people, talk like that. And they talk like that because really they don't, they've never been taught what I'm about to teach you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You're not stupid anymore. Maybe you were when you were unsaved, on your way to hell, not redeemed. Maybe you did have problem understanding things. Maybe you had learning disabilities and stuff. But let me tell you something. This is what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 2.6 However, we speak wisdom amongst them who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who have come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, yea, even the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no man knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit from this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know. Now, we don't have to guess. That we might know the things freely given to us by God. These things we also speak in words which man's wisdom teaches, not which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness with him, to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged by no one rightly. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That scripture alone lets you know that you've been set free from the limitations of human mentality, human wisdom. The Bible didn't say you have, the, you have um, access to the mind of Christ. The Bible says you now have the mind of Christ. God's very own mind, by His Spirit, His thoughts, His ways, now flow through you so that you're on a higher frequency of wisdom than the rest of the world is on. I mean, you study it. Solomon had such a wisdom that God had put on him so that the queen of the east came and she had heard of the wisdom of, of Solomon when she came to see and witness 
Because she didn't believe it. She said, I've got to see it to believe it. When she came to see it, she said the half of it hasn't even been told. I thought what they were saying was an exaggeration. When I saw for it myself, not only was it not an exaggeration, they actually only told me half of what the reality of your kingdom looks like. And the Bible says her spirit left her. She fainted. She went backwards, fell into the first, <laughs> first occasion of someone falling under the power of God in the Old Testament. And Solomon, you know what Jesus said in the New Testament? The queen of the east came from the, uh, the other end of the earth to hear and see the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus said, one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus said, I have wisdom greater than Solomon. And Jesus, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom, sanctification, righteousness, and redemption. So Jesus said, I, have, I am greater than Solomon in wisdom. And the works that that wisdom in Solomon, the works that you saw it produce, that pales in comparison to what my wisdom can do. And now Jesus has become in us wisdom from God. The scripture says Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God in us. Christ doesn't live. We don't have Christ on us. We don't have Christ besides us. We have Christ in us. And the scripture says we now have the ability to tap in to the wisdom of God's spirit which searches everything and produce results. As, uh, in accordance with that wisdom. You look at Joseph. Pharaoh testified, Inasmuch God has shown you all things, there's none as wise and discreet as thou art. Nobody's as wise as you, Joseph. And he set him as king. Second in command. He was Pharaoh. Joseph was like second king. He said, In everything that my kingdom is ruled, it'll be ruled by your word, by your command, by your legislative ability. I'm giving you full legislative ability. Whatever you say goes, goes in, in my kingdom. That came as a result of God's mind in Joseph. Well, if that was under the Old Testament and wisdom of God and Joseph was able to produce that, quit saying you're dumb. Quit saying I, I'm always confused. I never know what to do. Life is hard. Man, I wish I could understand. I wish I could memorize like you could. I, you want to know something? People always say that. You're like a walking Bible. Man, you just quote scripture. Before I got saved, I had done a lot of drugs. My brains were like scrambled eggs. I couldn't remember my birthday. I'm not a product of what I used to be. I'm a product of Christ in me. And Christ in me is God's wisdom in me. God's mind in me. I don't have old. I've lost my mind. And I don't want it back. I've gained a new mind, the mind of Jesus Christ. And so now I think the thoughts of God. Now, I, if I'm backed up into a corner, I know the way out. I'm not limited by my old mental capability. My mental capacity. Well, you know, they're, they're not too bright in that family. You know, they're, so their kid's not so bright. And, you know, it just runs through the family. I'm 
detached from that old family. I've been disconnected from my, my natural family, my human family. I'm born, of, born again, not by the will of blood, but by the will of the Spirit into the kingdom of God. I'm no longer a stranger or a foreigner. I'm a member of the household of God, a citizen of God's kingdom. And now his divine ability empowers me to always know the way out. I have the thoughts of God. I'm never backed up into a corner not knowing where to go. No, he's my God. He teaches me to profit and he leads me in the way that I should go. God could unscramble the eggs that maybe a past lifestyle brought. Maybe you were hooked on drugs, meth, cocaine, whatever it is, pot. And you're like what they call permafried. God could unscramble those eggs. And you I was never a good student in school. But then when I got saved, man, I had a really good GPA when I went to college. Nothing, nothing it's not like I... You know, nothing changed in my actual brain. It's that there's a another spirit working in me. Daniel, the Bible says, he had another spirit that distinguished him in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And one testified saying, light, understanding, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, is found in him. So people will start to see. He, he solves problems quickly, efficiently, and accurately. The Bible says they marveled at Jesus. They said, what kind of man is this? That such wisdom and marvelous works are performed by his hands. You're not anointed to be a problem and a burden bringer. You're anointed to be a burden alleviator and a problem solver. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 60, kings will come to the brightness of your rising and they'll seek an answer from your mouth that's what joseph was in egypt pharaoh put him in that position because now anytime pharaoh had a problem he knew to go to joseph and he wouldn't have to he wouldn't have to go anywhere else joseph was like his his end all whenever he needed something sorted out joseph just deal it with joseph deal get joseph to deal with with it I mean, you look at when he was in Potiphar's house and in charge of Potiphar's goods. Potiphar put him in charge of everything that was in his house. And the Bible says everything prospered because of the wisdom flowing through, through Joseph. You know what the scripture says? Turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Listen to what God's mind in you will produce on the earth. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding. Her proceeds are better than the profits of silver. You know what that is? God's wisdom working in your life will produce things that money can't even buy. Her gain is greater than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies. And everything you can desire can't even be compared with her. God's wisdom will do what? Length of days is, is in her right hand. And in her left hand is riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those that take hold of her, and happy, blessed, fulfilled are all who retain her. Let me read one more out of Proverbs. 
Proverbs 24. Through wisdom is a house built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So God's wisdom will help you to build something on the earth. It'll help you to build a, a, a legacy on the earth so that you're not, your work isn't forgotten when you die. But it's a continuation like Billy Graham. His ministry hasn't ceased. It's still moving forward. They're still producing results. People are still getting saved. They're still, uh, they're still fulfilling, the, fulfilling the mandate that God put on Billy Graham's life through that ministry. It hasn't stopped. It's through God's wisdom. That's why your mental limitations were removed in Christ. Because if you just had to operate by human mindset, human wisdom, the Bible says human wisdom is very limited. It's very limited. It has a cap. They even say in science, you can only tap into like 10% of your brain power. It's very limited. But in Christ, that 10%, the ceiling is broken. You can tap in. Not, it doesn't matter if you can tap into 100% of your brain power. Because even that would be limited. You can tap into 100% of God, Christ's brain power. His wisdom. To produce marvelous results on the earth. So that what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of man, you can start seeing those things done through your life on the earth. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 11, I was meditating on this scripture this morning, of all born of woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But you know what Jesus said? He who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than, the, than he. So he's saying of Solomon, King David, Elisha, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Abraham. As great as they were, as mentally sharp as they were, and the works produced through them, so great, so marvelous to behold, as wonderful as those, as those things were, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than all of them put together. Why? Because Abraham didn't have the spirit within. Elijah didn't have the spirit within. They had the spirit upon. We have the spirit within. So now, we don't have access to God's thoughts. We now have the thoughts of God flowing through us. But if you keep talking, you know, I, I was never bright. I always struggled. My thoughts are always so uh, cloudy. You keep, talk, you keep talking like that, you're going to... You'll put the limit on your own self. Psalm 78 says, you limit, you tested the Holy One of Israel. Yeah, you tempted God and tested God and limited the Holy One of Israel. You tempted Him over and over and you limited the Holy One of Israel. So you can limit what I'm talking about today. The devil has no ability to limit you anymore because you've been set free out of his kingdom. Man has no ability to limit you anymore because no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. The only one that can set a limitation on your life is your own self. Because God's already made an agreement with you. If you'll go my way, the, limit, the things that limit others won't be able to limit you. But by your words, you shall be condemned. And by your words, you shall be justified. Number two, mental limitations. Christ has been made unto us wisdom from God. No more limits. 
Number two, number three, financial limitations. This is an important one. I'm going to skip through these ones quickly. Financial limitations. I never have enough money. I'm always broke. Seems like I go from paycheck to paycheck. Do you know that the what Christ, one of the things Christ redeemed you from is from abject poverty? Do you know that when Christ roamed the earth, he exemplified God's will in every situation? And when they were in a wilderness and starving for three days, they had no food. Jesus said, bring, the, bring me something in my hands. And when that little boy presented to him five loaves and two fish, he took the bread and the fish, multiplied it, and fed 5,000 that day. No, that tells you God's not only interested in meeting your needs. He wants to break financial limitations off your life so that you can be used as an agent of change in your generation and meet the needs of, the needs of others. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Let me read you one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Luke 5. So it was, as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God, that he stood. If you're just joining me now, welcome to the broadcast. If you would just share the broadcast, uh, you'd be a great help to me. Verse 2, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. And Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out your, into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So I want to note first and foremost is that Peter had already tried to do things in his natural strength. You know, he was an expert fisherman. He was a professional in the fishing industry. He knew exactly the right lure, the right bait. He knew the right nets. He knew how to reel in the net, the catch. It's not like he was some like uneducated guy. He knew exactly uh, how to catch fish. That's what he had done from birth. The guy was a, 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 an expert in the trade of fishing. But he tried in human strength his whole night. Whatever resources, whatever education he had developed in his spirit, in his heart, when it came to the art of fishing, he, he applied it all. All the principles, all the, the techniques and the tactics, and it didn't do anything for him. But Jesus said, Launch out your boat into the deep and let down your net for a catch. Master, we've toiled. We've tried everything all night. We've done everything that we're humanly able to do. But nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had this done, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in other boats to come and help them. And they came and both the boats were filled so that they began to sink. You know what this story shows you? That God wasn't only interested in proving that Jesus was deity in the sense that, you know, they, they caught some fish. You know, that would have been a miracle. Jesus wanted to prove to Peter, I'm not the God of just enough. I'm the God of more than enough. That what you couldn't produce, whatever limitations financially were placed on you, in Christ, in me, if you'll follow me, 
Those limitations will be broken off your life. And you'll enter into a realm of no limits financially. He, he not only caught enough fish for him to be, you know, sustain his business another week. There was enough fish there. So he had to signal to partners to come in and they began to fill their boats and their boats began to sink. He broke the limits financially off of Peter's business. Caused his business to thrive, succeed. That's what the blessing does. The blessing of the Lord maketh one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. That's right, such 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That through, though he was very rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Not just rich spiritually, although that's of utmost importance. Not just rich physically, although that's greatly important. But rich financially as well. How do we know that? Because Abraham, God said to Abraham, I'm going to... If you'll leave your, parent, your family's house, you'll leave your father's house and come into the land which I will show you. I'll make your name great. I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing to the entire world. One chapter later, he leaves, follows the call of God. Genesis 13, 2. Abraham was um, very rich in livestock, silver, and in gold. So not he was very rich in peace, joy, and in the holy... No, those things are great. Those things are of utmost importance, of course. But God's blessing, it, it overflowed even into the area and the category of his finances. It's interesting that he notes Moses by the inspiration of the Spirit that he wasn't just rich in anything, in livestock, in silver, and in gold. You look at Solomon. He asked the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. God said, I'm not just going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you riches so that no other, every other... I'm going to give you so much riches that a queen's going to come and scout out your kingdom. And when she does, she's going to pass out. You see, anytime you talk about money, you always have someone come on. It sounds like the prosperity gospel. Do you want me to preach a poverty gospel? Would you rather I preach that you should stay poor and don't expect... You know, it's funny how people... Say, we preach a prosperity gospel. They're writing that from a $1,400 phone with a $1,500 laptop in front of them. People have financial needs that need to be met. They don't need to be told that uh, they should stay poor. They don't need to be told that life's a struggle. And how many of you know, you know, ultimately we'll walk on streets of gold one day, but here on this earth, it's... Jesus died, shed his blood so that you can be whole. 3 John verse 2, beloved, I would that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So people that have a problem with, you know, talking about money. Anytime you talk about money, people are going to say, well, that's that prosperity message because when you read the scriptures that talk about money, it's always about God producing overflow in the lives of those that serve Him. Now you can twist that message and say, well, it, you know, God, pretty much that uh, we serve God just to be made rich. That's not, that, that is a twisting and a perversion of that message. 
We don't serve God to be rich. That's, you'll go to hell thinking that. You're not saved. You're not regenerate. I serve God because of what He's done for me at the cross. He set me free. I love Him with all my heart, soul, and strength. And I'm seeking first His kingdom and all His righteousness. And Jesus said, you're not just to seek it aimlessly. Everything else people strive after, work hard after, break their heads trying to obtain. Jesus said, I'll put them in your lap. Jesus said, I mean... Uh, Jesus said, if you give to the kingdom, God will give it back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, falling over into your lap. Deuteronomy 28, if you'll heed the voice of the Lord your God, do everything he's commanded you, then he'll pour out on you a blessing that'll overtake you. And I'll set you high above the nations of the earth. Blessed shall be your wallet. Blessed shall be your, well, your kneading bowl, which is our version of saying your wallet. Blessed shall be your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be your storehouses. Blessed shall you be in your coming in and your going out. Everything you touch will be blessed. Everything you put your hand to will prosper. Joseph served God. And what did it do? It broke the limitations financially over his life. In that when the whole world was in a famine, bound, by poverty, bound by the grip of, of um, penury and insufficiency. Joseph had storehouses full of grain in Egypt that anyone on earth, if they wanted to survive that famine, they had to go to Joseph. You read Proverbs. In the way of righteousness is riches, honor, and life. So when people have a problem with God wanting to bless his children, it really is, a, it's a demon. Because my child, I'm not wishing he grows up poor. I wish he grows up richer than we'll ever, I'm not just wishing, I'm praying and I fast from that. You'll grow up richer than we've ever been. Stronger in the anointing, better than I. That what my ceiling is, that'll be the platform on which he starts. That's my heart I have for my natural kid. And Jesus said, you evil parents know how to do good things for your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give good things to those that, that serve him, that ask? We're not serving God so we can be rich. We serve God. And one of the things that God said, if you'll enter into a covenant to seek me with all your strength, to do everything I've commanded you to do, if you'll make me your shepherd and as a sheep, follow me all the days of your life. Psalm 23, you'll not lack anything. Matter of fact, not only will you not lack anything, David ends that psalm by saying, I'll anoint your head with fresh oil. Your cup will run over. Goodness and mercy will begin to chase you down all the days of your life. Deuteronomy 8.18. I mean, you got to rip these scriptures out of your Bible if you have a problem with it. Deuteronomy 8.18. The Bible says, I am the Lord your God who gives you power to create wealth. So people that have a problem with God prospering his children, you should live in a cave somewhere in the Himalayas. Because, and not, not take any wealth. Not store up any money in your bank account. Because the slightest amount of wealth you have, God gave you power to create that wealth. God gave you power to even have the brain that functions and the arms and the hands 
that move properly to make your way to work today, to fulfill that eight-hour shift or whatever shift you have, to work your job, to, to perform in your career. All of that comes from God. Everyone that has a problem with prosperity is always working overtime to obtain prosperity. And you look at the books written in Christendom on against the prosperity message. Now I'm saying there are excesses in the prosperity message, of course. But just because there's counterfeit doesn't mean there isn't the authentic message. And all the people that write against the prosperity message, go look at their personal net worth. They're not poor. They're making a lot of money. They had a, a, a conference two years ago or a year ago in Atlanta where they had speakers scheduled talking about the perils of the prosperity, whatever. Just bashing health and wealth and all that. Why is it such a bad thing to have health and to have wealth? Why can the devil's children enjoy health and wealth and everybody applauds? When 50 Cent buys a new jet, let's applaud. When Drake buys a new plane, a Boeing 747, the whole world. CNN, MSNBC, they were doing uh, documentaries on how luxurious it was, praising him for his accomplishment. Then the moment a preacher who has an extensive travel schedule that can no longer operate by commercial airlines and needs a private jet to fly so he can maintain his extensive travel schedule. Because you have to be somewhere Sunday morning, then somewhere else Sunday night, and then somewhere else Monday night, and then Tuesday night. Like Dr. Rodney Howard Brown had a 300-city tour where every night he was in a different city. You can't operate by American Airlines. You need your own aircraft. And then the moment that happens, there's an expose. And they all have the same voice. Televangelist, Rodney Howard Brown. Televangelist, T.J. Malkanji. Buys $20 million jet. What does he need a jet for? The same way Playboy CEO needs a plane and a jet for. What do you think they have a jet for? And you'll have, you've never done an expose on them. You don't have a Christian writing out on Hugh Hefner's, I don't even know if he's still alive or not, complaining and criticizing the, re, uh, the fact that he has a jet, but then a preacher steps out, breaks free from the limitations financially that religion has confined Christians to. And they step out, take a step of faith, and then all of a sudden, Everybody picks up stones to stone them. You know, religious people have never enjoyed the success of others. The moment Caleb and Joshua stood up and said, we can by all means go in and possess the land. The religious people, the Israelites of that day, they picked up stones to stone them. They wanted to wipe them out. And you can go through the whole script. David wanted to go kill Goliath. What happened? His brothers step up and say, uh, you just want blood. You just you just want fame. You just you're just interested in in the war. Always people trying to bring them back into the mold that they grew up in, because they can't be happy that someone's progressing further. And then when you have a weak spirit, you fall victim to people like that. But when you have a strong spirit, like Joshua and Caleb's. 
like David, he ignored his brother. He moved on. And he asked someone else, what's the reward if I kill this guy? Isn't it interesting? Everybody has a problem with people, you know, ministers having money, Christians having money. Everyone has a problem with that. They have no problem the moment they have a need going on Facebook, GoFundMe, setting up a GoFundMe account, asking everybody else for a chunk of their prosperity. Why not believe God? For it yourself, instead of being a beggar. Why not just fulfill the principles of the Word of God that will allow you to tap into heaven's economy so you don't have to be confined by the economy of this world, by the U.S. financial treasury. Instead, you're now tapped in to the treasury of heaven where Paul said, my God's going to supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. It's demonic. Isn't it interesting? David, before he killed Goliath, even David knew there's a reward in serving God. Even David knew that, that, that when you do something for the Lord, the Lord never puts you backward. It's always, every time there's a challenge that presents that you take responsibility in dealing out that problem, it always propels you further. Financially, spiritually, and, and in every area of life. David said, what's the reward if I kill this guy? The Bible says God is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Hey, Isaiah, no taxes on the king's daughter. That's right. No taxes, David, for your family and the rest of your lineage. And you'll get king, the king's daughter. He looked at Saul's daughter, saw Michal. She's kind of cute. Tax thing sounds good to me. And he went to war. Some of y'all wants the king's daughter, but don't want to slay the king's giant. That's right. That's right. But you'll find out that the obstacles the enemy's trying to place in front of you, if you'll assume responsibility to wipe those things out, God has a high place for you in life. Man. The Bible says he has a place set above all the nations of the earth. If you'll diligently follow where he leads you to go. So that was number three, financial limitations. We saw in John 6, he multiplied the bread, fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Then, listen to this. When, um, after we read Luke chapter 5, when Peter had Jesus come on his boat. You know, Peter had first lent his boat for the service of God's kingdom. When Jesus was done preaching, he then said, now that you've lent your boat for my service, you've partnered your, ministry, your business in my ministry, what you couldn't do because of natural limitations, I'm going to break those limitations off, and what couldn't be accomplished with your expertise in fishing, if you'll let down your net at my word, I'll, I'll create abundance for you. And what happened? So much so, they had to call in partners to put all the fish, and the, the boats began to sink deep. And then when Jesus died and rose again and he met the disciples in John chapter 20, 21, I believe it is. And he was on the seashore and he was making fish and he cried out to the children, to, to, to his disciples and said, have you any meat? Have you any fish? I said, no, we have not. And he said, let down your net again on the right side. And when he let down his net on the right side, 153 large fish were brought in. 
A second miracle. You know what happened? When Peter saw that miracle happen, when he saw that level of abundance, that level of overflow, when he witnessed financial uh, impossibilities come his way, you know what his immediate reaction was? That's Jesus. He identified Jesus because of a miracle of overflow that he enjoyed. And you can go through the scriptures of how God provided Elijah bread and meat in the morning by a raven. Stop looking to, if you look to a man to meet your needs, if you look to a human agency, a government to meet your needs and just cause you to, you know, wait this coronavirus pandemic out and see, you know, the economy's kind of like up and down right now. If we just... Hopefully, I'm just waiting in for that stimulus check. You're just looking to man to help you through. Man's ability to help you financially, even Bill Gates' ability, ability to help you financially is limited. But God is unlimited. He, he said, even the, the cattle on a thousand hill belongs to me. All the silver is mine. All the gold is mine. So if you keep looking to man, you're always going to live in total dependency. And once that man dies, then what? That guy gets hit by a car that you keep receiving checks from that's been helping you out through this time. It's okay, we, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to get a little help here and there. But if you'll tap in to what I'm talking about today, you won't have to be a, a beggar looking around for man's help. You can draw resources from heaven's economy. That'll break you free from the mold of the systems of economy in this world. The economical systems which are flawed. I mean, everything is, literally the whole U.S. economy is titter-tottering right now. One major crisis, pan, the pandemic wasn't enough, but one major crisis would totally overthrow the U.S. economy and the economies of this world. Then what? That's why I'm here to tell you, the same God that brought bread and meat for Elijah in the wilderness, in morning and at night. And then when that ran out, he, he commanded a widow to provide for him. So that didn't, during the duration of three and a half years, when there was a famine, there was a drought, nobody was, there wasn't any farmers prospering, no harvest coming in. In the midst of that, God made the jar of oil that that widow had never to run dry and the bin of flour never to, be used up until the day the Lord sent water back on the earth. And you look in 2 Kings 4, there's a woman there. Some of you might be in great debt. There's a woman who's got, uh, her husband died, who had accumulated some large amount of debt, and the creditors were coming to take away her and her children to make them slaves. And she comes to the prophet. You know that my servant, uh, your servant, my husband, the prophet, how he served you relentlessly. Can you help us? You know what Elisha did? Go and um, gather a vessels around town. Gather not a few. That shows you God's not just interested in breaking you out of one financial pit that you're in and then just to fall into another pit next year. No, God wants to break you free forever. Free at last. So that you're not constantly worried about what to put on, what to eat, what to wear. But instead, you can redirect your focus. That's the problem. 
When you live in perpetual need, your focuses are totally misaligned. You're constantly dwelling on things that Jesus said they're not to occupy your mind. Rather, you're to focus on what? The kingdom. On winning souls. On storing up treasure in heaven. When you're constantly worrying about what you're going to feed your kids tonight, it's impossible to do that. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Is not life more than clothing? And then he goes, if I was able to clothe Solomon the way he was, arrayed greatly, shall I not more clothe you? I tell you, in the name of Jesus, as you've been faithful in giving, expect surprise harvest coming in this week in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, just like the God of harvest has done for me, surprise harvest coming into your hands from nowhere. Just like those ravens randomly appeared. I pray, however it has to happen, the Lord's going to get that harvest back to your hands. That need's going to be met. And not only that, from today, the back of poverty will be broken off your life. And you'll go from perpetual need to now being the one that meets the needs wherever you go. That widow goes and gets her sons to bring in all the vessels of oil. And she had one little jar of oil, and as she began to pour it out, the, the oil never ran dry until the last vessel. And then what did Elisha say? You have no more vessels? No. Well, go and take the vessels you have. Sell it. Pay your debt and live off the rest. Pay your debt. Enough finances came in from that one miracle to not only have her pay her debt, but then live the rest of her life of that one miracle of provision. The limitations financially have been broken off of you in Christ because you're now a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation. The Spirit of God lives in you. And as you sow financially into God's kingdom, you know, another thing is, is you can't tie your finances up with God. You can't, you can't not tie your finances up with God and expect God to bring in a harvest. Just like a farmer can't not sow seed on his field and expect a harvest to come in that year. You have to sow if you're going to reap. You have to give if it's going to be given back to you. If you want the limitations that have been placed on your family, maybe you come from a poor family. Maybe you come from a family that never had much. You grew up. You know, having very basic meals because your family couldn't provide you much. But now you're wishing that you can, you can do things differently for your children. You don't have to wish it. You can apply godly principles today that'll, not, that'll make that a reality in your life. Your children don't have to live in the poverty you, you grew up in. The Bible says, when God brought Abraham out of his house and detached him from that family of idol worshipers, he then set a new heritage for Abraham's family. Abraham was blessed. Isaac was blessed. Jacob was blessed. Everybody loves to gravitate towards generational curses. What about generational blessings? Or like the scripture says, 
in uh, Psalm 112, your children will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. And the wicked will only be able to look at it and wax like, uh, melt like wax before the fire and grind at them with their teeth. As they see the blessing of God come on your children. You know, the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let me read it. Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you rain in your land in its season, to bless all the work of your hands. You'll lend to many nations and not borrow. You don't have to live a life where you're constantly borrowing, left, right, and center. Constantly going to banks. Extending your line of credit. You can be an owner. God doesn't want... Who do you think God's more interested in owning property? The guy who's making the money and he's going to spend it on alcohol, drugs, gambling, casinos, wickedness? Or do you think that he'd rather have a Holy Spirit-filled Christian running a property so that instead that money coming in is going towards evangelism, missions, world evangelization? God doesn't want you to be someone who's constantly leasing and renting. God wants to make you a property owner. And not just one property. I pray the Lord puts many properties in your hand. You know, we need end time financiers of the, of the gospel and of the end time harvest. The Bible says that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. But because the righteous have been so ashamed of wealth, the wealth hasn't been transferred over. See, you always have someone come up. When Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. So David's in hell. Solomon is in hell. Abraham is in hell. Um, pretty much every Old Testament king is in hell. If you study that, Blaine, you'll find out that Jesus was saying how hard it is for someone whose heart is set on riches to enter into the kingdom of God. How hard it is if someone who's Ob obsessed with riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Obsessed with advancing themselves. Some people, their IQ is so low, they can't understand. They see, they, they, they look into what I'm not saying instead of looking to what I am saying. I'm not preaching. You should live your life trying to gain more wealth so you can advance you. If you haven't listened, I've been telling, wealth is a tool to advance God's kingdom. Wealth is a tool to bless people. So that the next time someone comes to you and says, I don't have money to pay rent this month. You don't have to say, I'll keep you in prayer. You're not called to keep them in prayer. You're called to meet the needs of people. So religiously brainwashed. And I guarantee you, the people that talk like that, they're fine financially. So they have a measure of the blessing of God in their life. And as such, you know what they don't, they don't want? They don't want anyone else getting that same thing for themselves. 
They have a mess. They're, they're comfortable in their own life, but they're so detached. It's like Hollywood. So disconnected from average human beings. They don't even know what the average human goes through. They don't know what uh, the average person is struggling with because they're so high on their high horse in their ivory palaces enjoying wealth, enjoying their comfortability. That they don't care. And the reason why I'm, I usually don't answer people, the reason why I'm answering it today is because it, it, it's, it, it's enough. It's enough. I'll tell you one story. There was a lady in, Bar, in uh, Jamaica. My friend was preaching there once. He preached one night on the names of God. And one of the names is Jehovah Jireh. So if you don't believe in God's provision and God's able to prosper, ability to prosper people, then stop reading Genesis and stop reading uh, where he calls himself Jehovah Jireh. Genesis 22, I believe it is. Stop, just rip that part out of the Bible. He's obviously not Jehovah Jireh. So he began to preach and talked about Jehovah Jireh. And as he did, there was a lady there who called. He said, at the end of the service, I told everyone to call on the name of God that you have, you know, you have need of today. So if you're sick in your body, call on Jehovah Rapha. If you're sick, if you're uh, struggling financially, call on Jehovah Jireh. So this lady called on Jehovah Jireh because she was a, a prostitute who had to sell. She was forced to sell her body. She had a child there that night. She didn't want to be a sex worker or a sex slave. She, had, she was forced to sell herself to make ends meet, to pay off her rent and to provide groceries and food for her child. And so that night she calls out to Jehovah Jireh. Well, the next day she was scheduled to meet her, uh, her rent, pay up her rent that she was already backdated three months and the owner, the property owner, was actually coming that day to evict her from the premise. So that was her last night. That was her last straw. So as she did that, the next day comes, comes along and uh, the owner comes... Knocks on the door, where's my rent? I don't have it. Something came over him where he says, give me about two hours, I'll be back. He goes back into his car, drives away. Two hours later, she had, they had no food in their fridge. They had no money to pay rent. Zero. Zilch. Two hours later, he comes back with bags of groceries. He says, I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to evict you, and I'm going to forgive you of the rent that you owe me. You don't have to pay me for the last three months. Just next month you pay me. But the last three months and this month, you don't have to pay me. And not only that, here's a bunch of groceries. I felt I, something came over me, compassion or whatever you want to call it. And uh, I feel led to, to just fill your fridge. And then he walked away. Wasn't even a Christian. That night, the lady goes back to where my friend is preaching and tells the testimony of what God did. And he, my friend said, I, the, the thing that, struck me the most is when after she told me that testimony she looked to her daughter and said this you see whatever her name was you see mommy doesn't have to go and sell herself anymore to provide for you God did a miracle for us mommy doesn't have to go and sell her body anymore 
And the daughter, they were just weeping and, and crying tears of gratitude. So talk about how hard it is for the rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven. We're blessed to be a blessing. People like that will have to give an account to God one day. Did Jesus die so you could be rich and you can enjoy the wealth of this world and, and that's it? That's, that's the reason why he died? So you can, be, you can be wealthy on the earth? No, that's not the reason he died. He died to break the curse of the law, which was the curse of sin. And in the curse of the law, you can read it. Deuteronomy 28 talks about poverty, sickness, disease. So part of Christ's Redemptive work was to break you free from physical limitations, mental limitations, and I'll close with financial limitations today. If you're here today and you're watching and you, you'd like to give your life to Jesus, you're not living quite like you should, there's sin in your life. And uh, maybe you're like what that person just wrote before. Maybe your life has been all about wealth. You've been living for money. You've been living... For mammon, you've been living just to advance yourself. Jesus said, come to me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. One day, this world is going to be burnt, everything in it dissolved. But there's a kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. So on the flip side, you might have all the money in the world, but that's not enough to buy your way into heaven. You need to be saved. The blood of Jesus was shed to break the curse of sin off your life. To break, the, the, to, to wash out the stain of sin that no detergent of this world could have ever washed off your, your garments. But Jesus said, I have white robes of righteousness ready for you. But you have to believe and you have to receive. You have to admit you're a sinner Believe on the gospel that God raised Jesus from the dead for you. And at, Christ, and at number three, see, you need to con commit your life to Christ. Consecrate your life to Him today. So wherever you are, if you want to pray that with me, just pray it out of your mouth. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Old things pass away. From today, let all things become new. I'll live for you the rest of my life. I'm a new creature. I'm now blessed. I've been forgiven. I'm healed. And I'm empowered to help my generation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in touch with me, salvationnow.ca. Uh, the first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. Get it to me. I want to send some, some uh, material to you free of charge. It's going to help you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.